morning. So good to have you guys here. Welcome to this Guys with DNA. We're super excited for this morning. I hope you guys, I've got this picture in my head. I hope you, you, you're open to some heart surgery this morning. And that's risky because it's your heart, right? Heart is life or death. That's how touch and go it is. But if you could trust anybody with your heart, first, if it's literally, it should be a cardiologist, right? Trust them with your heart. They should know what they're doing. But when we're talking about the depths of your heart, God is someone we can trust. Trust God with your heart. I feel this morning with what we're going to be preaching and looking at this morning and some of the ministry that I hope will take place would require you to be vulnerable with your heart. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is someone who says, well, I can get there. I can get into your heart. doesn't matter how big your wall is. doesn't matter how strong your defense is. You might not let any elder or the person sitting next to you, you might not even let your husband or wife get into the depths of your heart. Say, listen, you can't get in there. There's too much stuff in there that I can't let you touch or deal with. There's too many things that I'm too afraid you would damage. Can I trust you? The good news is that God, you can trust him because he gave you that heart. He made that heart for you. He knows everything about it. He knows everything that's wrong with it and right with it. He knows where it's struggling or where it's strong. He knows what he wants to do with it. He says, can I get in there and do a little bit of work? And I just feel this morning, God's just warning you. He's going to get into your heart a little bit this morning. um, And he wants to do a bit of work. And so it could be a little bit easier if you say, okay, Lord, I'll let you in. Come do something in my heart this morning. All right. So can we turn to a book in the New Testament called Philemon? The big debate this week was, how do you pronounce Philemon's name? I think for half the week, I was going to go with Philemon. And then I just decided, you know, we're going to go with Philemon. I've been in this church for 19, 20 years, and my name is Greg. And that's been mispronounced so often, and I do not carry offense about it. I really do not. I'm pretty sure Philemon will not mind if we get his name wrong today. And if he is upset, he can come see me on Monday morning and we'll discuss it. So we're going to go to the book of Philemon. It's in the New Testament. We're going to read the whole book this morning. Now, if you're not there yet and you think, oh my goodness, we're going for a long meeting this morning. The good news is it's one chapter long. That's it. Right? We're not even going to chapter one. We're going to verses this morning. But we're going to read Philemon and um, we're going to do a three-week series on this book. I think it's really something good that God wants to say to us this morning. So I'm going to read the whole book for us, 25 verses, and then I think there's really good things we're going to unpack this morning. All right, so I'm guessing you're all there. It's a letter that Paul writes to this man Philemon. I'll give the background to it now, but let's read. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, And Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, 
I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Awesome. I encourage you when you get home later today and after giving a bit of a background to the story, go read it again and um, just see what Paul's actually nudging Philemon to do. Have a look at what he's asking. But let me give you a bit of the background and the details to the narrative and there's some incredible truths here. So Paul's written this letter to Philemon. He's a wealthy businessman. He lives in Colossae. The book of Colossians was the, the letter Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And um, Paul probably met Philemon on one of his ministry trips to Ephesus, Colossae is just outside of Ephesus. And in that process, Paul met Philemon and most likely was a part of seeing Philemon come to salvation. Probably shared the gospel with him and led him to salvation in Jesus. But Philemon is a wealthy businessman. Now common in that day was that he had bond servants. Common in the Roman Empire was that 50% of those who lived in the Roman Empire were probably slaves. It was very common. A quick side note on that, because I love this point. Like I said, about 50% of people in the Roman Empire would have been slaves. You might have had a slave who worked for you and served you. But slaves were given the ability to buy their own freedom. You could pay and save money and pay for your own freedom. One day you could go to your owner and say, I'd like to buy my freedom. And they'd give you this document that said, you are now a free citizen. They would do that if they wanted their freedom. Some of them wouldn't. They were happy serving a master. Even in ancient Israel, that you could pay if you were sentenced to death. There was even a law that you could pay or someone could pay to set you free. And the word that was used for a slave to get their freedom or for somebody to pay for you to be free was the word 
redeem. You could be redeemed. So if you're a slave, I could come along to your owner and say, I'd like to redeem so-and-so from slavery, and I would offer them redemption. Now Paul, living in this empire, this Roman empire, he uses this exact same language when he chooses to describe the salvation that God offers to you and to me. You see, for all of us, we are all slaves. You might say, who owns me? Well, sin owns you. How good have you been in escaping sin? How righteous are you in your own ability? How often do you and I fall to wrong and to evil that we can't stop it? Even Paul says, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. What a, what, a wicked man, what, what a wicked man, what a wretched man I am. That's what he says. Have you ever had that conversation? I have it all the time. Lord, I really don't want to do that, but why keep doing that? And I really want to do this, but why can't I do this? And just like Paul, Lord, how, how wretched we are. And so we are. We're all slaves in some capacity to sin. We're all slaves to death. We cannot escape it. There's a, there's a contract over our head that all of us would one day pay a price for our sin, and that would be death. But Paul says, here's the good news. Someone, and that someone is Jesus, says, can I come and redeem you? Can I offer you redemption? Can I pay the price of your slavery and set you free? And that's the language Paul uses through his letters, telling the churches all within this Roman Empire, you have been redeemed. You who once was a slave, you have been set free by Christ Jesus. He's paid a price for you, and we are now set free in Jesus. We have redemption. And that's a great thing for us to remember because at any moment that you feel a slave again to your past or a slave again in sin or a slave again to the enemy or a slave again to, to, to death, you hold up that contract and says, nope, Jesus has set me free. Stan was saying this morning that he was baptized. He got saved recently and he got baptized. Stan could say to anybody who says you're still a slave, he said, no, 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 no. I was in the water. Some of you were here and you saw Stan go under he has been redeemed. Slaves can be redeemed. Jesus did that for us. We're going to look a bit more at that now. So Philemon, he had slaves, and one such slave was named Onesimus. That's the other character you see in this letter. Interestingly, Onesimus' name means useful. His parents said, you're going to be useful, whether they knew he'd be a slave one day, and he'd be useful as a slave, I don't know. But his name means useful. But then a problem occurs. We don't know all the details, but in some way, Onesimus wronged Philemon, Philemon. He wronged him, and the assumption is that he, he robbed him. He stole from Philemon. He took money or possibly even land, and he ran away, and he ran off to Rome as, um, as a thief, as a robber. Now, Philemon, knowing this, would have every right, if ever he had to see Onesimus again, to have him arrested and to have the full force of the law brought upon him and he would be punished accordingly for his crime if he saw him again. Now here's where it gets a little bit exciting. Onesimus, while in Rome, some way, whether he ends up in prison, which could be the case, or whether by some chance he meets Paul, he meets Paul and Paul shares the gospel of Jesus to him and Onesimus gets saved. Onesimus comes to salvation in believing in Jesus. A thief is saved. But there's such a change in this man, so much so that Paul says, I became a father to him. 
He became a son to me. We read that in verse 10. And Paul even says, I'm sending you my own heart. In verse 12, talking about Onesimus. Onesimus is not just some random guy in Rome that Paul got saved. He becomes a son. He becomes a part of Paul's or not. There's an affection Paul has for this thief who's now saved. And he's telling Philemon, I'm sending back even my own heart to you. There's this incredible change from a slave and a thief to a son. Now Paul writes this letter to Philemon. He says, Philemon, you're also saved. You're a Christian. And in verse 19, you can see Paul saying, I've had a role in that. You might owe me something because I was part of you coming to salvation. He says that in verse 19. Philemon is generous. He hosts the church in his home. The church meets in his house. He's very kind to others. Paul calls him, you're a partner in the kingdom. You're a partner. You're a brother. Philemon's a good man. But now Paul says to him, Philemon, I'm asking that you would receive back Onesimus. Would you take him back? But not as a slave, but rather as a brother. Would you welcome him back as a brother? How's that for a request? What would you do? You're Philemon. One of your slaves has robbed you, run off with your money. Presumably you'll never see him again. Now, Paul, who you love, you've worked with him, says, hey, by the way, I'm sending the thief back to your home, but I want you to accept him back as a brother. You might say, okay, wait, I'll take him back. What are the options here? He can come back, but um, he doesn't have to be a slave anymore. But I'm not accepting him as a brother. Or I'll cancel your debt. You don't have to pay me back what you stole but you must still be a slave. I won't call the police. I won't call the Roman guard and get you arrested, but I'll accept you back, but you must still be a slave. Or, I'm sorry, you, there's no chance you're a brother. Or is Philemon willing to say, okay, I'll accept you back as a brother, a brother in the church, a partner in Christ. Even Paul says, I'm willing. I'm willing to even pay the debt. If, if you need that debt back, I'll pay it back. Put it on my account. <laughs> Paul says to Philemon, put on my account, I'll pay the debt that this guy owes you, but I want you to accept him back. And you can read about this book. They say it's one of the best negotiating books that you could learn from. So any of you salesmen or negotiators out there, you can see the tactics Paul uses, be nice and kind and gentle. Listen, I could command you, but I'm not. I'm gonna gonna kindly appeal to you rather. I'll gently suggest, but you do owe me something, but let's not talk about that now. You would be doing me a great favor if you. Paul Smart. He's a wise man in prison, but he's asking Philemon, would you make this change? How would that ever be possible? That an owner would welcome back a thief back into his home as a brother is one way. The power of the gospel. The gospel is able to change the hearts of men and women to such a point that we could do things that the world would look at us and say, that's ludicrous. That makes no sense. The power of the gospel is possible. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. This first part of this book of Philemon is we're going to look at the power of the gospel and how when we come to hear Jesus, there's this miraculous salvation that happens in our lives. We are miraculously made right before God. We are justified. Our wrongs have been paid for. The court calls us not guilty and we are saved, but it doesn't end there. When we have Jesus in our lives, we change as people. Our hearts change. We grow. We become better. We're sanctified, meaning we go from glory to glory. We become much better people in Jesus. So this morning I want to look at how Philemon and Onesimus 
have changed because of the gospel in their lives. All right, so firstly, Philemon, as I said, he's powerfully impacted by the gospel. He's a businessman. He's generous. He's hospitable. Has the church in his home. He's called a fellow worker. He's a partner in the gospel. He has all these things. Now, one of the big things he would have to overcome in coming to salvation, it's a warning Jesus gives to the wealthy. Jesus says this in Matthew 19, verse 23. Jesus warns the rich. And now, just very quickly, the world's statistics would probably put all of us in this room under the category of being rich. You might say, I'm not rich. When you look at how much people live by on a daily basis, they would say, you're, like, you're in the top 10% of wealth possessors. You've got the top 10% of assets in the world because some people live in like $2 a day or something. And if you have change in your kitchen bowl, they say you're in the top 10%, top 5% of the world's wealthy. So you might say this doesn't apply to you. I'm not rich. You are rich. World statistics prove you're rich. Congratulations. You're with the rich club. This applies to you and me, okay? Matthew 19, 23, Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. He then says in Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he goes on to say, you cannot love God and money. Now, Philemon is a wealthy businessman, and this would have been a challenge for him. How does he approach his assets, his resources, his finance? What Jesus is not saying in this passage or in these passages is that being rich or wealthy is a sin. That's not what he's saying. Do not read into that and say, ah, oh, you're rich, you must be a sinner. That's not what he's saying at all. But he gives a warning. And the warning is, where will your heart belong when it comes to your treasures? Where does your heart belong? And for the rich and the wealthy, he says, the danger with you is that your hearts are more inclined to belong to your, to, to your, to your finance, to your assets, to what you possess, versus could you reject all that and choose Jesus? Jesus teaches this. I love this teaching. He says, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a treasure that is hidden in a field. And when you find this treasure in the field, you're willing to go sell everything you have. Everything, your house, your car, your dogs, I'm sorry. You sell everything you have. Don't sell the dogs, you can keep them. God's gracious and he loves your dogs. Sell everything you have, go buy the field just so you could have that treasure. Another story is he says, it's like a merchant who finds this fine pearl, such an expensive pearl, you sell everything you have just to get this pearl. Now often when I think of that story, it's like, of course, that makes sense. You're selling one treasure for another treasure. You're selling one asset for another asset. That's like, I'm selling my car so I can buy me cryptocurrency. You're like, I've still got a treasure. You've still got something of value. But look at the point that Jesus is making. The kingdom of God, having God in your life, following God, belonging to him, serving him, being called a son, being called a daughter, living your life for the purposes of God's kingdom is far more valuable than everything else you own. Do the treasures still add up? You might say, Lord, I'd rather sell everything I own for a, 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 a box full of gold. He says, well, the kingdom of God is worth more than that. Do you see it that way? Do you see the kingdom of God as more valuable than everything you own? Philemon had to learn this lesson. Could you choose to follow God above all else 
And I think he did pass because he was generous and open-handed. And that's the challenge to us is um, it's worth it. It's worth it. God's desire for you and me, his primary desire for you and me is that we would have a restored relationship with him. Now, often we would say, God, now that I've got you in my life, I want a job and I need a car, I need a family. And we start listing all the things we think makes us people of value. God says, those things are important, but not as important as me. Some of us would say, God, give me all those things first, then I've got time for you. Funny enough, when God gives us those things, how we so quickly forget God because those things have taken us away from God. We cry to God for a job and then we say, Lord, I can't get to church because of the job. (laughs) Sometimes we cry to God, give us children, Lord. Guys, I can't come and be part of church community. My children are too demanding. Children are a blessing from the Lord. God will not give them to you if they're going to keep you away from God's purposes for you. God says, seek me first. All these other things are extras. They're all there to be added on. Desire God first. Don't let the things of God keep you away from God. So the things that God would bless you with to keep you away from God. Philemon had to learn that. But now he has to learn another lesson, and it's the lesson of forgiveness. Could he forgive? Just as he was forgiven and accepted by God for his previous sins, he must now show that same forgiveness to Onesimus. And again, how could you ever forgive someone of such a thing? The power of the gospel. The gospel can do it. I want to ask you this morning, and here's one of these open heart surgery moments. Are any of you struggling with forgiveness today? Forgiveness is really hard. How many of you are struggling? You might even be thinking of the person right now. Is there somebody that you need to forgive but you just cannot And what I'm not saying this morning is, come on, pull your socks up and just get it done. Forgiveness is hard. It's incredibly hard. I do not believe you could ever forget. I think of poor Peter. Peter denies Jesus three times. He walks with Jesus for three years. He was Jesus like one of his closest friends. And at the moment of Jesus' need, Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus forgives Peter. But then it gets written in the Bible And generation after generation of generation reminds Peter, look what you did, Peter. He could never forget what he did. It was captured in the Bible for all of us to look at Peter's sin going forward, but also to see the forgiveness. So I I don't think we can forget, but we are called to forgive. And Jesus speaks a whole lot about forgiveness. Peter says to him, how how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times. That's a lot. Seven times. Sheesh, should I forgive Nicole seven times for the same thing? Lord, surely by the seven times she would have learned. Jesus says, Nicole learns the first time. Guys, she's amazing. Um, But Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Now, you're all doing the math. Okay, that's 490. I could do that. Forgive you 490 times. 491. No, he's saying, keep going. Keep forgiving. Forgiveness is incredibly hard. Some of you are holding on to unforgiveness this morning. And here's the problem. You might say, Greg, I have every right to hold hold unforgiveness. You don't know what this person did. I know I don't know. I know God knows, and I know God's asking you to forgive. Why would he ask it? Because he forgave you. He forgave you knowing the worst of who you are, and he was gracious to you, and he believed the best of you going forward. But I just feel unforgiveness will become this bitter root. In Hebrews, it speaks about this bitter root that gets into our lives, 
and you're called to bear fruit in life, if you're holding unforgiveness in your life, the only fruit that you'll bear is bitter. It'll become bitter. This is hard. How could you ever forgive that person for what they did? The gospel. The power of Jesus in your life will give you a grace and an ability to let that person go of the wrong they've done for you. You don't have to hug it out with them. You don't have to become best friends and send send them a Christmas card every year. You don't have to do that. But you're settling your heart before them and saying, my heart will not be bitter to you anymore because God has got far more for your life than for you to be brewing in bitterness and the roots of bitterness to affect who you are called to be. Sometimes, sadly, the person doesn't even know they've wronged you. (laughs) And you go tell them, I forgive you. Oh, wow. For what? I take it back. You should have known. (laughs) No, Lord, help me forgive. Even right this morning, if if there's a forgiveness you need to give, Jesus says, before you even worship me, go forgive that person first, then come back. It means a lot. Not because God's trying to make sure his books are corrected, but because God knows what bitterness does to you and to me. He doesn't want that to happen. Philemon has to deal with forgiveness now. Would you forgive a thief, a slave, and would you accept him back as a brother? Can I even encourage you, forgive yourself. How many of you don't forgive yourself? (laughs) Every now and then I reflect on my childhood and sometimes I shake my head like, what was I thinking? Lord, what did I do that for? Why? I think God's like, Greg, we're done with that. Move forward. But how many of you are living in your past? You're living in your sin of your past. How many of you are so restricted? God says, can you forgive yourself? You're not called to live in condemnation or accusation. You're no longer guilty. You're no longer a slave to these things. Be free. That's the challenge that Philemon's going to have to work through. Then we see the change in Onesimus, what the gospel does in his life. He's now a son before Paul. He's a brother in the church. He is useful again. His name makes sense again. He's useful. But he's not useful as a slave of men, not even a slave before God. How cool is that? But he's a son in the kingdom of God. A man who's lived his life as a slave might say, okay, God, I'll be your slave. God says, don't be my slave, be my son. That's the beautiful thing God does for you and me. He takes us on as sons and daughters. How is it possible How is it possible that a thief and a slave could be called a son? The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms us from the inside in our hearts and it changes everything that we're about. Without the gospel, we're constantly fighting to become what God called us to be, but nothing can help us. Psychology, philosophy, nothing can. The world's trying to create a morality that makes us good people, but we keep falling short. Michael Eaton says this. He says, if you take a poor man, and you make him rich, you give him money, all you've done is you've made a poor sinner a rich sinner. Take an uneducated woman and teach her. All you've done is you've made an uneducated sinner an educated sinner. What changes the heart of a person? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus changes who we are. It's he, him and him alone who comes and impacts us and gives us life. It restores us. It changes everything about who we are called to be. That's the power of the gospel. And what the gospel even beautifully does, it gives us a whole new identity. Some of us, we feel like we remain a slave to sin. You've been set free. 
You've been redeemed. I've, I've, I've made uh, allusion to that term. Jesus says, I've paid the price for you. You're no longer a slave. In one of the letters, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't live any longer as a slave to sin, but be free. If you're struggling and feeling free this morning, go back to the cross, go back to the gospel and say, Jesus, remind me what you've done for me and help me to be free. I'm no longer stuck in sin. You might still sin, but you've got grace that will help you to get over that and get through that. But you're no longer accused of your past. You're no longer held with a condemned statement. When you stand before God, you're not guilty. You're made righteous. If you're struggling this morning and saying, I still feel a slave to who I was, or I still feel a slave to sin, that word from cursing this morning is God saying, if there's a sin that's gripping you and holding you back, God says, can I sort it out this morning? And maybe that's what God is doing. Say, I wanna set you free from feeling like a slave. God's got no slaves in his kingdom. He's got sons and daughters. That's us. And he wants you to feel that. And then we see that the gospel in Onesimus has the ability to unite. It brings a unity that would never exist. How can a master of a slave become a brother in Christ because of the gospel? And we see in Galatians 3 verse 26, Paul writes this to the church there. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God, sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now there's no Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no man or woman. There's no hierarchy there. You're all one in Christ Jesus. We're no longer slaves to a master, but we are partners in the gospel, sons and daughters in a kingdom. How is this ever possible? That's the power of the gospel in our lives. That is what Jesus has done for us when he died upon that cross. Paul says this in Romans 1.16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says the gospel is powerful because it has the ability for all people to change their lives forever. It changes us from the inside out. It goes to the depths of our heart. It removes any bitterness. It removes any sin. It removes any guilt and condemnation. And life and love and purpose and value and identity and salvation is brought in. And all of a sudden, we are far more alive. That is why we worship. That is why we sing. If you were a slave for years and years and years and whipped upon your back constantly at any wrong step you made and called low names and had no freedom whatsoever and then all of a sudden a document was given and said, you're free, would you not sing? Would you not dance? Would you not rejoice? My friends, you and I, we have been set free in Jesus from who we once were. We have been redeemed. So this letter And interesting, with this letter, it does not, I think it's the only letter Paul writes, he does not mention Jesus on the cross. He doesn't mention Jesus dying on the cross. He doesn't mention um, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He doesn't mention Jesus' blood. It's the only letter, if I'm not mistaken, where Paul doesn't mention it. You know why? Because the gospel has been asked to be displayed. He's not telling us about the gospel. He's saying, I wanna see it. Philemon, would you forgive a thief? A man who was a slave, who's now a son, would you forgive him and welcome him back? Would you do that? 
would you see the gospel lived out? Onesimus, would you live out the gospel? You're free. Rejoice. Have your purpose and your usefulness again in the kingdom of God. Be alive. Be free and use it for good things now. Be restored. The gospel is to be displayed. And so for us in our lives, let the gospel be something that's in our hearts, but let our lives live out the gospel. Let people look at us and say, why are you so free? Why are you so hopeful? The power of the gospel in my life. So just to end this, the gospel. The gospel gives us God. We have God in our lives. The gospel gives us changed hearts. It changes everything about who we are. The gospel gives us purpose. The gospel gives us identity. The gospel gives us unity. The gospel gives us forgiveness before God to others and to ourselves and before God. The gospel gives us worship.